You may be seated. Uh, in the remainder of the time that we have this morning, I want you to open up your Bible to 1 John. I'm going to use three selections in the book of 1 John, towards the end of your Bible, not the Gospel of John, 1 John, uh, to help you understand that God's desire and will for you is that you have assurance of salvation if indeed you are saved. I believe the opposite of that is true, uh, that Scripture wants to make it very clear, God, through uh, the witness of Scripture, wants to make it clear that if you aren't saved, that you wouldn't have any false assurance that you are. And I think Scripture uh, appeals to that very clearly, and 1 John, in a very particular way, is going to help us, one, have the ultimate confidence and proves that we know that we are saved. We know that we know that we know that we know. There are people in this baptistry that you heard Say things like, I thought I was saved, or I got baptized before, but now I'm, I'm not. Well, a skeptic here would be like, well, how do you know if you, you knew then? Why not then? Why not now? Well, Scripture testifies and tells us how we can know that we are sure that we are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, purchased by him, and we are in the kingdom of light being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. And so, if you're in First John, say amen. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to a couple of texts. The first one I want to take you to is, is chapter 5, verse 13, the one that Jordan had just read to you. I think it's really important when we think about the first assurance that you can have from the sermon being t- preached through the text of 1 John is this, that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that com- comforting? That the testimony of Scripture is that you may know that you have eternal life? That is the question. How do I know? Well, you need to at least know this first and foremost. Scripture, as as God has articulated his will and his word through the apostles, the prophets, through Christ being the cornerstone, he has, through Scripture, made it clear to us that he wants those who are saved to know. He wants you to have assurance that you are saved. And here in 1 John 5.13, he, he makes that clear as the theme of 1 John, assurance of your salvation. And then he says that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Here's how you know the first assurance of your salvation. You can write it down this way on your note sheet. That you can have assurance of faith if you have placed your trust in the person and work of Christ. Point number one, placing your trust in the person and work of Christ. I don't have a lot of time to spend on each point, but what I want to help you do is is to parse it a little bit where you understand how this applies to the Christian faith in a very genuine and clear way. We need to recognize something about the gospel of Jesus Christ or those uh, who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We need to recognize that words don't save us. Prayers don't save you. Uh, Altar calls don't save you. Your pastor doesn't save you. You aren't aren't riding into heaven on grandma's coattails. I've heard it said this, that God has no grandchildren, only children. And that means you are a child of God because of the person and work of Christ, and in a real earthly way, which means that he has produced a response in you that is called repentance and faith in Scripture. And now here's where all of this comes to a head in those who question and wonder about their salvation. We trust in the person and work of Christ for our salvation. This means this, that there is something about who Jesus is that gives me confidence, and then there's something about what he has done that gives me confidence. Over and above... Uh, any of the other ways that you've been told about salvation over your life. Uh, For instance, the person of Jesus Christ, who is he? Well, Scripture makes it clear that he is the second person of the triune Godhead, that he is co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, We read in Philippians and Colossians that there was nothing that was 
that existed before, before Christ and all things that were made were made for him, by him, and through him. And so we recognize something about the person of Jesus. We recognize this, that he's God the Son, that he is co-eternal with the Father, that he is perfect, holy, just, and loving. That is who he is. There is nothing in all of creation that was created outside of him or before him. He created all things, and all things hold their form because of Jesus. Now, you start to see where the assurance of salvation comes from. right? If Jesus says you got it, he's got the power to make you get it. And I understand something about the person of Jesus Christ, that there is no one who is more powerful than Jesus. And there is no one who sustains the things that Jesus sustains. And even the most powerful person on earth only has each breath that comes out of their nostrils because Jesus said, you can have another breath. That's the person of Jesus. What about the work of Christ? The person and the work. The person of Christ gives me full assurance that he has the capacity to save that just because of who he is, if he wanted to save, he's got the credentials to save. You understand? Literally, the name Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew, says, you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, literally, the name Jesus means he saves. Like, literally, that's his name, is he saves. comes from the Hebrew uh, Yeshua, where you get Joshua in the Old Testament, uh, Isu in the Greek, and in Latin, and we get it to the English, but Jesus. And then... That's his person, who he is, and then his work. Okay, his work, like what he has done. There is him, he has his credentials, but therein is what he has done to actually reserve salvation for the people he draws to himself. You see this, the person, the work, okay? Uh, Christ really is really the work of, of Jesus. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Right? If that's new to you, welcome to Compass Bible Church. Christ is not Jesus' last name. All right? Christ is really <laughs> the work of the, the Christ, the Messiah, okay? They were, always, they were looking for a Christ, a messianic figure from the Old Testament. Uh, Messiah from the Hebrew is translated into the New Testament as Christ, or the anointed one. And so Jesus, he who saves, is the, the anointed one or the Messiah or the Christ who is coming to do the work that only the chosen one, the anointed one, can do. So really Christ is really telling us much more than just a cool tagline to his name it's telling you what he's come to do he's come to be the anointed one the chosen one he who is sitting on the throne of david he who fulfills the abrahamic covenant that means that abraham's offspring will be numerous as the the stars in the sky and is as numerous as the sand on the seashore so this messiah is the one who fulfills both of those covenants that he will sit on the throne of his father david eternally and he will also expand Abraham's family. And Jesus, being the Christ, came to save, sit on the throne of David, and expand the family of God. And that is exactly what he has done through putting on flesh, being incarnate. Okay, so him taking on our flesh is part of the work of Christ. Now everyone talks about, you know, it's Jesus died, Jesus died, Jesus died. It's like, yes, but you need to, you need to backtrack a little bit because you also need to understand Jesus lived. Jesus clothed himself in humanity. Don't forget that part. That's not, a minor, that's not a minor piece in the work of Christ. What In the work of Christ, what allowed Christ to take on this perfect substitute for you and me wasn't just that he ran down here and ran on a cross, but that he lived every single day as you and I, but without sin. The incarnation of Christ, really important doctrine for the Christian faith, that he became in all ways like you and me, but without sin. Secondly, in the work of Christ, he came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to erase the law. We've talked a lot about that over the past few months. He came to fulfill the law. The very things that you and I couldn't do, he came to do 
for us. Now, therefore, him being an incarnate, perfect son of God, co-eternal with the Father, fulfilling the law, through that, he then became the perfect substitute because he became the spotless lamb without blemish because there was no sin found in him even throughout his whole incarnation, which makes it available that he would be the perfect substitute, that he then can be, for you and I, the thing we could never be, perfect, faultless. And because of him being the perfect substitute, he was able to bear the wrath of God, which is when it starts getting to, oh yeah, I get this now. Okay, In order for his life to be substitute for your sin, there has to be something different about his personhood. And that's why when you read in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, there's something about the name. The name tells you something about him. You're not just believing in an obscure truth out in the nebulous space. You're thinking about an objective propositional truth from a person who existed, and this is who he is, and this is what he's done. And because of who he is, because of what he's done, lived a perfect life, he then could bear the wrath of God on your behalf because he's not getting on the cross paying for his own sins because he sinned. He's getting on the cross as a perfect substitution because of our sin, because of your sin. And so therefore, he can bear the wrath of God and then he died on our behalf. The very thing that you and I don't want to do, the very thing that you and I are most terrified of is dying. He took care of that. But here's the real truth of my assurance that I have in the person and work of Christ that he was resurrected, that he was raised. There is something about the proof of my assurance of salvation when, uh, when a man comes and he is born and he lives and he tells me that he's the son of God and he tells me that he's God incarnate in the flesh and that he fulfilled the law and he has never sinned, not once, and then he dies and then he was resurrected, I tend to think that guy is who he says he is. And I know that even as it is today, that as I stand before God the Father on the day of my death, I will see a resurrected Savior, a Savior whose body had been resurrected and is standing at the right hand of the Father. And therefore, my assurance of my salvation has nothing to do with me. Did you hear how many times I said me, 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 me in that whole explanation? Not one time. My assurance does not rest in any prayer that I've ever prayed, in anything that I've ever said or anything any pastor and my dad has ever told me. My faith And my assurance of my salvation rests in one person. His name is Jesus, and he died for my sins, and he promised me that if I turn from my sins and place my trust in him alone, that I would be saved, and my trust and confidence is on that alone. We could almost go, but I got two more points. I'll try to get through it quickly for you. All right, number two, I just want you to write it down, and then we'll look at it. The second assurance that you can have is the God-given capacity and the desire to follow Christ faithfully. The God-given capacity and desire to follow Christ faithfully. To not even give you illustrations, just look at this baptistry. Did you hear, uh, particularly, did you hear the, the young ones, right? The, the, the Generation Z. Right? Did you see them? They were up there, and they were telling you things that you were like, man, I wish my kiddos did that, right? They were saying things you're like, I've never, I don't hear young people saying things like that. Why? Uh, because what is wrought in them has been by the Holy Spirit, and they have the God-given capacity and desire to follow Christ faithfully, that which they did not have before. And this is why you can have great assurance in salvation and faith, because you have the capacity and the propensity to do things that you never had before of no work of your own, because the Holy Spirit did that in you. Now, you have a part to play. You have a cooperation to play within your justification or your, your sanctification, you walking out your faith. But you got to recognize that apart from the Holy Spirit, you had no capacity to do that on your own. Which is why 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says this. Go ahead and flip to that real quick. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Back up a page. And by this we know that we have come to know him. Again, did you see the phrase of assurance there? 
You want to know how you've come to know him. Well, here's some assurance for you. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Again, here's your assurance. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Here's you a good assurance for the Christian faith. If you are able and capable of walking out your faith and obey God, there's you some assurance. And this is important because so many people want to rip your assurance away by saying, none of us can walk faithfully. Everyone sins. Everyone sins. Absolutely. But when we sin, we repent and we get up and we keep walking. Okay? The difference between, and our, and our churches have to get this clear because if you will not get this clear, you're going to rip away people's assurance. Like the Christians who are walking with God have the capacity through the Holy Spirit to do what the Word of God's telling them to do, but yet you say, well, that's not how you can prove that you're a Christian. That's what the Bible says, shows us that we have evidence and assurance that we're Christians. If we will walk according to His commandments, if we would keep them, don't rip that away because you think that's too hard of an understanding of Scripture. Understand, let Scripture testify about itself that you want to know you have assurance? Walk in His commandments. Because you know what a non-Christian is going to do who professes to be a Christian? They're going to trip up over every commandment in Scripture. Why? They have no heart change, and they have no capacity of the Holy Spirit in them to draw them to any lifelong change. And so you're going to do two things wrong if you don't preach this clearly. You're going to give false assurance to false converts, and you're not going to give genuine assurance to genuine Christians. You're going to have to say, hey, here's a really good truth of assurance that we have in our salvation. If he has purchased us, if he has bought us, he's going to sustain us and he's going to walk us through our faith. And although we will fail, we repent and we continue walking. Give genuine assurance to genuine Christians and don't be a hurdle for a false convert to trip over because we don't take this verse seriously. Call people to walk according to the ways of God. Because as we have seen over and over again in Matthew, as we've been studying that for the past few months... People who can't won't because they can't. And then we get to tell them, well, you know who did fulfill all of the laws and who wants to empower you to be faithful to him. His name is Jesus Christ, and it's his person and his work that you can trust in for your salvation. Did you see that? We made it a gospel conversation because we took God at his word. Finally, the third one. 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. This one's a strong. 1 John 2.19. Here's the text. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Here's a text where uh, the Apostle John is saying there are these uh, false teachers and these false converts who have left, these false apostles uh, who had come in and, and spread a bunch of lies, and then they left. And he says, here's why they left. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Here's the point, and I want to talk about it. The third way you can have assurance is when you're persevering in the faith. Persevering in the faith. And this is why this is so important. And again, like we could do earlier, we can say, well, it's not about, it's not about walking in the commandments of God. First John says it's literally about walking in the commandments of God. And the only reason you can do that is because you have the Holy Spirit empowering you to do that because you're saved. In the same way, as Christians, we got to recognize when people reject Jesus and they leave, they, they reject Christ. They didn't just walk away from Christ and they'll be back in a couple of years. That's, that's some kind of weird belief system that 
we have created that when people reject God and they walk away from the, the church, they leave, that we say, ah, they'll be back. They're saved. Because if they were saved, once saved, always saved. Yeah, we believe that. If they were saved. But the problem with 1 John is it says, these people who said they were saved, they left. And what ought we do with these people? Well, 1 John says if they're denying Christ as the Son of God, the only means to salvation, then we need to understand this. They went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. There are two things that this does that you need to understand really clearly, and it's going to give you so much confidence. Number one, if they have gone out from us and they're... Re- I'm not talking about going and joining a different church. I'm talking about if they have gone and rejected Christ as the only means to salvation. If they have done that... They are called non-Christians. They are not regenerate. They are not saved. They are not children of God. And here's what that's going to do, twofold. Okay? First and foremost, it's going to allow you to see who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. Because that's just how Scripture tells us to do it. If they leave and they reject Christ, because here's the thing. First John also tells us that the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, is literally those who reject the Son of God. So you can't both have the spirit of the Antichrist and the Holy Spirit cohabitating in your life. you got one or the other. And so it's either going to be the Holy Spirit is leading you to live according to his word, or you're going to have the spirit of the Antichrist in you that is leading you to deny Christ. Now, here's the second thing that this is going to do. This is going to give ultimate assurance to those who are persevering in the faith. We can't, with people who reject Christ and walk out, say, no, I know they were saved. And I know you have children and grandchildren and grandma and mom. I get it. Like, I get it. I don't want to think about my child not being saved. I don't want to think about my grandchild not being saved. Well, it's, we better think about them as they truly are and not misguide them on what they really are. We have to have a true, honest assertion, according to Scripture, what their position is before God. And if they reject Christ and they've left the flock because of their rejection of Christ, we got to say what Scripture says. They went out from us because they're not of us. Here's what that's also going to do on the flip side. Those who are persevering, it gives you confidence. Those who you're going through dark time, you're going through a desperate time, and yet you don't shake your finger at God and say, God, you are just the worst, and you've done this to me. But those who trust in the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, and the provision of God in their life, to tell them, they look at God and they say, God, uh, though you slay me, I will hope in you. It's what Job says, right? It's literally, as he is losing everything, though you slay me, I hope in you. My hope is in you. Right? There's some fruit of a genuine Christian. And that you would stay bound and tethered to God, even in the worst times of your life, is proof of the assurance of your salvation. And here's why. Not because of you. You didn't do it. God did it. Can I show you God did it? John 10, 27. Just jot it down. John 10, 27 through 29. This is what Jesus says about the assurance you can have when, it's, when you persevere in your faith. It says this, that my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. You, you're Jesus's, you're going to follow him, you're his. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's you a promise. Remember that person and work of Jesus Christ? That person and work of Jesus Christ, who he is? He says, if I'm in his hand, no one's getting me out. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm not nearly powerful to snatch myself out of the hand of God. And if he has put me in his hand, then I cannot leave his hand. And... No one else can snatch me out of that hand. My father, listen to this, verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. This is another thing. It's not just Jesus. Not just a second person of the triune Godhead that's keeping you within the hand. It says, my father gave you to me. If the father has given 
the Christian into the hand of Christ, and it is the hand of Christ that is holding the Christian, and it is the Holy Spirit who has sealed that Christian for eternity. Is there anybody on earth powerful enough to escape the hands of the triune God? Nope. Not happening. No one, verse 29, is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You want true assurance. This is why we got to call it what it is, right? According to Scripture, give assurance to those who need assurance because we need assurance. Christian in here, you need assurance. There are times in your life where you're going to doubt and you need assurance. But if we have watered down Scripture so much to where we haven't been reading Scripture the way it's meant to be read and we're not giving assurance to anybody, any assurance we're given are those who should not have assurance. If you're walking and running away from God, you should question your assurance. But for those who are being steadfast in the faith and they're wondering, why God, why this right now? I want to assure them here, hey, you know what's assurance for you? You lost your, you lost your husband. You've lost your child. Let me give you assurance. As God keeps you with him, tethered to his hand, you have assurance because it's him who sustains you. It's him who provides for you. And that you would trust in him. There's assurance of your faith because a non-Christian isn't going to do that. I got more, but I don't have time. So if you were to stand up, we're going to dismiss. God, your words are so clear in Scripture. And my prayer is just that this church, that we just grasp onto your word and have confidence in it, just like those in this baptistry, just took hold of your word, understood the gospel because you opened their eyes to the truth of the gospel and you brought them to repentance and faith. That they trusted not in words and not in prayers and not in altar calls and not in mom and dad, but they trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. And they know that as they stand before you in eternity, they would be rest secure in the hands of you because of the person and work of Christ that they have entrusted their souls to. That Christ substituted his righteousness for our sin and bore our sin on the cross that we may have life and life eternal. God, I pray that as we think about assurance and we wonder how we ourselves can have assurance, it's recognizing that our, our salvation had nothing to do with us, that I couldn't say these perfect words to lead me to Christ, but that Christ has led me to himself and him and who he is and what he has done is sufficient for my sin. And that God, as your Holy Spirit is drawing us, you're giving us the capacity and this propensity and this desire to follow you, to obey your words And then finally, as we persevere, God, help us have so much assurance that as we persevere, it should be a great confidence that we are indeed your child because only the children of God will persevere to the end. And give us great confidence in that we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.